Good morning, church. Uh, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Man, if y'all don't know Aaron, you need to get to know Aaron because he's an encourager, man. And he's been an encouragement to, to me personally and uh, a brother that kind of not only encourages you but, but kind of instills you with a sense of, of strength because he's always pointing you to, to God. And where else, where else are you going to get strength other than, I mean, true strength other than God? So uh, thank you uh, for being an encouragement uh, to me personally. Uh, real quickly, um, last week we got to announce that the new Baby Cast edition was born. Well, a week ago, today at 11.52 p.m., the new edition to the Wing household was born. So we're really excited about that. Little Theodore. Now, I don't think we have a, a picture of him, but uh, you can see him in person because He's here today with Mama, and so you make sure that you encourage the, the wings and congratulate them and celebrate with them and, and uh, let them know how much uh, you love them. So if you don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz, and I'm one of the pastors here. We've been going through um, various uh, psalms uh, and in a series that's based on the book of Psalms. This morning, we're taking a little break. A little break from that series. And we are looking at, at uh, just a, an interesting but powerful, uh, just short passage uh, that Jesus gave to us in the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to start with this. That I believe that the meaning of life is all about money, sex, and power. I believe the meaning of life is about living for my glory, getting what I want, and feeling good. Those are the values I live by, and you should too. Amen? No. Thank you. I would have been, I, I got really nervous that somebody was going to say amen. <laughs> and then I didn't know how I was going to fix that. Well, I don't believe that. But I wanted you to feel what it's like to hear somebody say that out loud. Because even though most people won't admit it or even know it about themselves consciously, non-Christians or Christians, we often live our lives according to those messed up values. It's our default mode. Live for me, me first, what's comfortable for me, what's convenient for me, you know, it's all about what I want. Most of us, that's our default mode, but most of the time we're just in denial about it. You know, when we go to a, a movie and we see people striving for glory or money, sex or power, those kind of movies are designed to entertain us and, and make us feel excited or good as we live vicariously through the people on screen. But when we see a different kind of movie, a movie where people deny themselves sacrificially for the, for the sake of others, for the good of others, you know, that inspires us. In fact, it makes us evaluate our own lives, doesn't it? Instead of, of giving us an escape the, the, from reality, the movie puts us in touch with reality. Why? Because deep down, Christian or not, your heart knows what the Bible confirms, that life really is about loving relationships. 
Now, I'll explain what I mean by that. But that's the most simple way I know how to say it. Life is about loving relationships. When your relationships are strained or broken, you feel strained or broken. When, when your relationships are strong, you feel strong. When relationships are restored, it feels like your soul is restored, right? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you this morning. And I'm challenging myself as well. I want you to think of a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And your relationship is strained. It's not what it should be. Maybe there's animosity there or maybe it's just cold or maybe you just want to avoid them or they avoid you. It might be a family member. It might be your neighbor. It might be someone in our church. And the thought of them makes you sad or mad. Who comes to your mind? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to get crystal clear on who it is that comes to your mind. It might be one person. It might be several people. Who is it? Now, please, please hold them in your mind throughout this message, okay? God has a lot to say about relationships throughout his scriptures from cover to cover. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount pronounces a a great honor on, on people who restore and maintain good relationships. He says this, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, if that's true, then we have to understand peacemaking. And if we're going to understand peacemaking, we need to wrestle with a few questions. And so that's what we're going to do. And the first question is this. If you're taking notes using the outline in your bulletin, the first question is this. Why is peacemaking so important? Well, here's the short answer. Jesus says it's because you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Light reveals. He says we are light. So what is it that we should be revealing to the world? We should be revealing what life looks like in God's kingdom. Specifically, what relationships look like in God's kingdom. Even more specifically, how we respond when relationships go bad. Jesus goes on to say, You are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This right here is a beautiful vision of the church. And I'll explain. First, he says, we are a city. Now, here's the deal. We cannot, it is impossible. Uh, we, We might figure out a way, but we're not supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount individualistically. Jesus did not come to just save individuals. He came to save a people. Jesus created us to be a city within our city. And to be a city, a new city, we must reflect the diversity of the city. And so we invite and we welcome into our community all different kinds of people and share the love of Christ with each other in word and deed, even to the point of sacrificing our own preferences. I know that sounds like a crazy idea, but that's what we're called to do. We are a new city. Not only that, We're a city on a hill. We are to be 
in the city and reflect its diversity, but we also need to be distinct, all right? We are to be a city on a hill. You will never, you will never understand the city and you will never understand the church's role unless you understand that in every city, there are two cities. The early theologian, St. Augustine said, there's the city of God and the city of man. Our community, our community should be a living picture of the kingdom of God to, to model an alternative way of life in our business practices, in our race relations, in our definition of success, our, our problem solving, our sexuality, our use of money, our, our respect for human life. It's supposed to be distinct from the rest of the world. As a light shining in darkness, we are to reveal a different way of living. And I'm telling you, nowhere is there greater opportunity to be a light than in how we handle our relationships, especially when relationships are strained by conflict. Nothing shines brighter than a radically different way of handling relationships, especially when it comes to restoring and maintaining them. That is what makes us a city on a hill. That is what makes us distinct. That is what makes us a light in the darkness. And not only that, we are a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. This is how the church impacts our city. This is how the church blesses our city. If people see the wisdom and the power and the grace of God in this alternative city, Jesus says in verse 16, this blessing leads people to praise our Father in heaven with us. The quality, the quality of our life together is a witness to the world. Jesus prays and he says, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, are a preview of God's kingdom. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the point is that our unity in community is one of the main ways that people believe the good news of Jesus. So disunity is not okay. It's not something you could just shrug off, shrug off and just say, man, I wish that disunity didn't exist. It would be nice if we were all united. And it's easy to get cynical about unity. You know, just mocking it as some kind of kumbaya paradise or whatever. Jesus doesn't treat it that way. Unity and community is one of the main ways that people will believe the good news of Jesus. So do you see, while peacemaking is so critical? Now, second question. What's involved in peacemaking? I want to look at biblical, I want you to see what biblical peacemaking looks like. And I got this from one of my mentors, five steps that spell the word peace, P-E-A-C-E, 
and I think it's helpful. And I, I want you to keep those people or that person in your mind, uh, that, that there's a strained relationship. Keep that person in mind as we go through these, okay? Uh, the P, plan a peace meeting. Let me explain what I mean. Just a few verses down, Jesus says, if someone has something against you, go at once to make peace. And then later he also says, if someone sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. So you know what? There's the difference between these two verses, what that is telling us is that it doesn't matter if you are the offended or the offender when it comes to peacemaking. Jesus commands us to go make peace. If you're the one offended or you're the one who did the offending, it doesn't matter. Jesus commands us to go make peace. You ever been in an argument and say, you know what? I just don't want to talk about it ever. None of us here, right? That is the opposite of peacemaking, okay? Peacemaking is not pretending that it doesn't exist and you just kind of sweep it under the rug. Peacemaking is not, you know, running from a problem. Peacemaking is not keeping the peace. There's a big difference between a peacekeeper and peacemaking. Peacemaker is proactive. Peacekeeping is just inaction. It's just cold, don't want to rock the boat. It completely avoids conflict at all cost. Big difference between keep, peacekeeping and peacemaking. You ever straight up refuse to make peace, even though we're commanded to do it? Instead of treating it like a command, we treat it like an option if we feel like it. That's why Jesus has to command us to do it, because he knows that we're not going to feel like it, right? We are told that as long as it depends on us, you can't do it in every situation. The Apostle Paul is very down to earth, you know, when it comes very realistic. He says, as long as it depends on us, live at peace with one another. Some people just don't want to have anything to do with you. Some people don't want to have anything to do with peacemaking. Some people don't want to have anything to do with, with reconciliation, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But we are called to follow King Jesus' command to make peace. The other option, the other option, when it comes to obeying King Jesus' command to make peace, the only other option is to tell Jesus, King Jesus, to get lost and to mind his own business. That's the only other option. And refuse to make peace. It's just straight up, straight up disobedience. It is straight up rebellion. This is critical. Because you know what that, you know what, if we don't, it's like, disunity and contempt and bitterness and putting yourself forward at the sake of others, that is cancer in the body of Christ. And if you do nothing, it dies. Your priorities change when you find out you have cancer, right? You want to do something about it. It's urgent. And we got to make sure we do the right thing about it in the right way. This is serious. 
The E stands for examine your heart. Later in the sermon, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So peacemakers see their own sin as a log and the other person's as a speck. And as a result, they approach people in humility, not in self-righteousness. If, here's a little pro tip here. If your efforts at peacemaking stir up more conflict than peace, then I don't know, maybe check to see if you have a log in your eye. It's a possibility. We just might be approaching people with a sinful, holier-than-thou attitude, and we need to repent. The A stands for, this is, this is, this is a game-changer. Aim first at reconciliation, and then problem solving, all right? Aim first at reconciliation, and then problem solving. We, we do this backwards all the time. In fact, we demand that we do it backwards all the time. We want to solve our problem first, then and only then will we reconcile with somebody else, right? But Jesus says, first, go and be reconciled. That means reconciliation comes first and later we work on problem solving. And the reason is because you really can't work effectively on problem solving until you're on the same side. The evil one wants us to fight each other, right? And one person says, I'll be cool if they can change. And the other person says, well, I'll be cool if they can change. And then the evil one wins. The cancer spreads right? Instead, we're called to recognize we're on the same team. Be reconciled, then address the problem. You know what? That's exactly how God dealt with us. First, first, we are reconciled to him through confession and forgiveness and trusting uh, Jesus for his grace and um, paying the penalty for our sin, Right? Then we work on problem solving, becoming the people God wants us to be. If God put problem solving before reconciliation with us, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? The C stands for cooperate as much as possible. And the as much as possible part there is important. I, I want to... It's possible some of you are thinking, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? I'm different, I'm special, or, or maybe you just don't know the nuances of whatever I understand. And if I don't address all of your questions, you can come talk to me afterwards and we'll hammer it out. You know, I want to do what I can to, to help. But I want to be clear about something. Peacemaking is not letting people run over you. It is not continually presenting them with an opportunity to sin against you. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker and Jesus was not some pushover, right? There are appropriate times to stand your ground and to stand up for others. And Jesus stood his ground and stood up for others courageously, but also wisely, right? The thing is, is we need to learn what issues are worth going to the map for and what aren't. Author and professor Dennis Johnson, well, he just retired, actually. 
Needs said to be a biblical peacemaker, you need to develop a bias toward compromise on unimportant points rather than insisting on confrontation at every point of disagreement. So you cooperate as much as possible. And then the last letter, E, enlist help if necessary. Jesus tells us that if peacemaking efforts stall, take one or two along with you to help in the process. Now, he's not saying recruit two or three to come with you so you can kind of gang up on this other person that you don't like, to straighten them out. That's not what it's calling us to do. But that's as practical as I, I know how to be, to give you some tools to work with. Plan a peace meeting, examine your heart, aim first at reconciliation, then problem solving, cooperate as much as possible, enlist help if necessary. It's pretty simple and straightforward. But we mess it up all the time. Why is that? That's our next question. Why, why aren't we peacemakers? Why are there people that we need to go to and proactively pursue peace, but we don't? Our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, our neighbors, somebody in the family, somebody in the church, why don't we proactively pursue peacemaking? Why are there people that we need to go to, but we haven't? Or we've just given up way too soon before we even really got started? Well, here's the thing. Now that I've given you some helpful, practical steps, you need to know it's not as simple as just knowing some helpful, practical steps. All right? It'll be real easy. A lot of preaching ends right here. The Bible says, do this, go do it. You're, you're out of here. But we can't stop there because there's no power in that. All right? We, if, for this to be powerful, we got to get we got to zoom in. we got to focus on the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done because the gospel is the power of God. You're feeling hopeless? You read that P-A-C-E, whatever, you're like, this is a bunch of nonsense. It doesn't work. Well, we need the gospel to bring the power to it, right? It's not enough to know some steps. We also have to know our own hearts. We have to know what are the things that keep us from being peacemakers? And as I look at my own heart, I see two things. And the first one is fear. We fear pain, criticism, failure, and rejection. Right? We fear pain. We, we know peacemaking isn't easy. There is, you know, there's the pain of the long, intense, emotionally draining meetings. The, the pain of realizing that we might be the one who is wrong and we don't know if we can, you know, come to grips with that. We fear criticism that, that the other person or people will be suspicious of our motives or blame us for the problem or criticize us for being lousy peacemakers. We fear failure. You know, maybe you tried and it failed. You know, why not just play it safe and, and not get involved and we'll default to peacekeeper instead of peacemaker. Or we fear rejection. A request for forgiveness could be rejected, or, or they'll tell us a whole bunch of other things we're doing wrong. Fear is a factor. And the second one is pride. When I've offended someone, my pride makes it difficult for me to admit it to myself, let alone admit it to someone else. 
I'd rather see my sin as a tiny little speck in my eye and the sin in the other person's eye as a big giant telephone pole, right? So my pride prevents me from going to them and confessing. If someone hurts, someone hurts me, my pride can cause me to either stuff it and, and try to act like it, like it doesn't bother me while it's eating away at the relationship. Just sweep it under the rug, be a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. Maybe I can avoid this pain. Or we confront them with a self-righteous attitude. Instead of going in love to restore, you go to them to get even. This is why we are not more effective peacemakers. Fear and pride. Now, is that making sense? Is that making sense? Yeah? So what can we do about it? How can we be peacemakers? Well, we got to deal with those two obstacles, right? We got to deal with the fear. We got to deal with the pride. They're not just going to magically go away. It's not enough to simply implement some steps. I mean, we got to deal with our hearts. How? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in his blessing. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, how can we be peacemakers? We, we become peacemakers by remembering that in Christ, we already are children of God. I'll explain. Jesus says later that the underlying cause of both pride and fear is that we have forgotten that we are God's children. We act like orphans. Remembering that we're God's children absolutely obliterates our pride. Remembering we're God's children enables us to push past whatever fear that, that we might be experiencing. And so I'll explain first with this. Remembering we're God's children gives us humility. We must not read the Sermon on the Mount moralistically, all right? Jesus is not saying if you work real hard at peacemaking and you achieve, oh, about a 70% success ratio, then eventually you'll become sons and daughters of God. He doesn't say that. Over and over and over again in Jesus' sermon, he reminds his followers that God is already their father. And he says that the key to replacing pride with humility and therefore the key to being a peacemaker is remembering that you are God's children. See, later he contrasts the self-righteously religious Pharisees and the way they give and pray and fast with the way his followers are to give, pray, and fast. Self-righteous religious Pharisees do it to be seen by people, right? But his followers do it in humility because they know that their father sees what's done in secret. What this means is it's not if I'm a peacemaker then I become a child of God. No, you are a peacemaker because you are a child of God. Now maybe you're wondering, how does remembering that we're God's children give us humility? 
Well, here's how. Because none of us are worthy of that honor. Right? That gives us humility. When we remember that none of us are worthy of that honor. Remember the standard that Jesus gives us? He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anyone here perfect? Raise your hand. Oh, no? Jacob. Besides Jacob. You and I got to talk later, Jacob. I have a couple things you need to hear about. None of us have been perfect in any way, including peacemaking. We all failed, and therefore, we have pushed away from God. But in mercy, in love, in grace, God sent Jesus to make peace with us. The Bible says that Jesus himself is our peace. He came to reconcile us to God and to one another by giving himself on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus paid for all of our sin, the sin that separated us from God so that we could be reconciled to God. Remembering that where his children humbles us, makes us far less demanding because we realize that Jesus endured the pain and shame to make us his children. So listen, the only way we can enter God's kingdom, the only way we can enter God's family, the only way we can have God as our father, you know, is to come to a point in our lives where we see what the prodigal son sees. And we say, Father, I've sinned against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son or daughter. Only then is your heart in the right place. It is then that we receive forgiveness, peace, and become God's children. It is a gift of grace in Jesus. Remembering we're God's children gives us humility. Second, remembering we're God's children gives us courage. Jesus says we are filled and con- Filled and controlled by fear because we have forgotten that we're God's children. So (laughs) Jesus says things like, don't worry about your life. And you're like, how? Just by trying real hard not to worry? That makes it worse. Now you're worried and discouraged. No, he says that regardless of the pain, regardless of the criticism, your father loves you and delights in you creator of the universe, the one who made it and holds it all together, loves you, delights in you. You you get that, it changes the way you look at the world and everybody else. You know, before you can make peace, you have to have peace. You cannot make peace if there's a war waging in your heart. And where do you find peace? It comes from God. He is the author, the maker, the source of peace. And you know what? Everybody I know wants peace of mind. But we all try different ways of getting it for ourselves. Financial security, a relentless pursuit of comfort, 
maybe we think it's going to be a happy marriage or, you know, a good family, whatever it is. Even good things. But listen, the only way you can find lasting peace is in a relationship with God. I'm not talking, when I say that, I'm not talking about self-righteous religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the God of peace. Apart from him, there is no peace. And why don't we have peace? Pride. I got to prove that I am right. I'm not going to go reconcile because that would cause me to not have integrity. That kind of manipulation, whispering in your ear will keep you from reconciliation. Or we're fearful. I don't want to get hurt again. Look, only the gospel, only the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us brings us peace with God and the peace of God. This right here, who Jesus is and what he has done for you through his love and grace and mercy, that is what makes you a peacemaker. So if you don't feel like reconciling with your brother or sister in Christ, if you don't feel like reconciling with your neighbor, if you don't feel like reconciling with that family member, remember who you are in God and what Jesus did for you to make you a son or daughter of God. Focus on that first until you have the humility and the confidence, even if it's you know, with trembling, to seek reconciliation with that brother, that sister, that neighbor that family member. This is what empowers you to make peacemakers. And it's a blessed ministry because Jesus says it is. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he announces the amazing honor which will be given to peacemakers at the last judgment. They shall be called the children of God. I love how John encourages us when he cries out, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. Why did Jesus connect the blessing of being the children of God with the characteristic of peacemaking? Well, his logic is solid, it is airtight. God is the God of peace. He has made peace for us through Jesus. And making peace is part of God's character. So those who have become members of his family will share in his family's likeness. His children will be peacemakers. Peacemaking is the mission of every Christian because peacemaking is the mission of our Father. So let me ask you again what I asked you at the beginning. Who do you need to reconcile with? Maybe it's with somebody who offended you. Or maybe it's somebody that you have offended. Either way, it doesn't matter. And then ask yourself if you've been justifying your bitterness. Or maybe justifying your fear. Or justifying your self-righteousness. Or justifying whatever it is. I know that with a message like this and a topic like this, for some of you, there's been a lot of pain stirred up this morning. 
and you know that you cannot do this on your own. Well, I want to encourage you. One, your God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is with you and for you. First and foremost, you are not alone. Second of all, we are called to be a community of grace, brothers and sisters who help each other work this stuff out. We don't have, if you're waiting for some like official peacemaking ministry program for the church to come up with and to fix everything for you, you're going to be waiting for a long time. You are the peacemaking ministry program. You are. And so God calls you to, to, to seek peace, but know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is with you, and your community of grace is with you. We may not do it perfectly, but we are here for you. We are committed to that, to stand with and for each other and to build each other up. And we remind each other that we're the children of God, and because he made peace with us through Jesus, we can now make peace with others. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?